Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting this episode of Industry Focus. LinkedIn Jobs uses knowledge of both hard and soft skills to match you with the people who fit your role the best. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash fool and get $50 off your first job post. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It's Monday, August 12th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. On today's show, we're going to talk a little bit more about the recent market turmoil as it pertains to geopolitical risk and how investors may want to think about that kind of stuff. But we begin this week with another installment of Between Two Fools. To call Kevin Bennett an entrepreneur would be putting it lightly. He's been a part of the success of startups including HomeZen and Opower, among others. Today, Kevin is the CEO of Moto Refi, a company focused on helping consumers save money by refinancing their car loans. I recently had the good fortune to chat with Kevin about Moto Refi's market opportunity, the importance of culture in today's workforce, and more about his extensive experience in the startup world. To learn more about Moto Refi, check him out at motorefi.com or check him out on Twitter at GoMotoRefi. That's at G O M O T O R E F I. Okay, Kevin, tell us a little bit about Moto Refi. Uh, I think most people probably don't realize they can refinance their car. Uh, you and I were talking about that industry data. A lot of people out there with some delinquent car loans right now. Moto Refi is, a, I, I think, a really interesting business from a number of angles. But tell our listeners what you do and the problems you're trying to solve. First, great to be on the podcast. You know, we're a big fan of Motley Fool and the work you do to help consumers with their finances. And, and our goal at Moto Refi is similar. You know, our mission is to help people improve their relationship with their cars. Uh, as we know, most people have cars uh, and need to get to and from work, socialize, get to countless other kind of events, and it's, it's an integral part of their lives. Uh, unfortunately, most people don't have the best financial relationship with their car. You know, and you alluded to this uh, around refinancing. So, for example, most people are actually paying more for their car loans than they should be. And only 47% of people even know that they can refinance their car and save money. That's different from when people buy a home, for example. When they buy a home, they'll often shop their financing, make sure they're getting their best rates, and they will often refinance their home to make sure that, that those rates are the lowest uh, in the market. That's not true with people and their cars. Uh, most people actually don't shop or compete their auto financing when they purchase their cars. And then they aren't even aware that they can refinance it and get a better rate. So uh, at Motor Refi, we partner with trusted lenders like credit unions and community banks. Uh, they have low rates, and we help pay our customers with the best rates uh, for their auto financing so they can save the most money possible. What do you think? I mean, I, I, this is a really interesting point there because I, having gone through the process of buying a home a few times um, and having uh, gone through the process of buying a car, and, and I remember with my car I bought, and it was, a, it was an Explorer, and Ford had this 0% financing deal for people who qualified. And so, of course, I'm going through this process thinking, all right, well, I should be qualified because I know my credit record, I know my credit score, and I know that I'm employed. So there shouldn't be really any issues in getting that zero percent. But you're right; I don't think people shop around for a for an auto loan rate at all. And I want I mean, homes appreciate typically in value. Cars, we know, you drive that off a lot, and it automatically uh, depreciates in value. 
Um, so what are the challenges that come with, I guess, not only trying to educate the consumer on what you can do for them, but then on the, the, the back end of that, the work that you all do in order to get that loan refinanced at the lowest rate possible, considering you know, those challenges that we were talking about? On our end, you know, there's a lot of technical work, analytics, data science that goes into uh, helping our customers and making sure we can qualify them for the best loans possible. So, you know, from a consumer perspective, it this all manifests itself in a really great experience. So, a consumer would go to MotorRefi.com. They could check the rates they qualify for in seconds uh, without entering their social security number, without having a hard pull that dings their credit. If they like the rates they see in, you know, just a minute or two, they can get a firm offer of credit from a lender. We underwrite directly on our platform. It's automated and easy for the consumer. Uh, and then in that same week, they can actually close their financing in most cases. So, so we make it easy for them to go through the whole process online. We even take care of the trip to the DMV so they don't have to do that. Oh, so, that's a value add right there. <laughs> that alone. People aren't asking themselves when the next opportunity to go to the DMV is. So no. Right, you know, people are busy, and, and we try and help them with that as well. Yeah, that wow, that is good. I mean, service is a great differentiator. I mean, you, you never should underestimate the power of of excellent customer service. Now, what you do at Moto Refi, it sounds like it would be kind of an ancillary business at any other big bank. It's like one other thing that maybe a big bank would do. Um, whereas it's really precisely what you do and what you focus on. What who? What's your competition in this industry? So it's a it's a great point you just made, and I want to kind of underscore that, which is traditionally uh, in the finance markets, you know, there are there are lenders that are all things to all people, right? And I think what you're seeing is the evolution, and and we partner with lenders, and so this is this is a a collaborative process, but. We will specialize in a specific vertical, in our cases, kind of auto refinance, and provide the best possible experience to our customers that way and and help and partner with lenders uh, in that specific vertical. So I think in terms of optimization and, and being very focused on, on what we do, we certainly are, are, are doing just that, and it allows us to provide kind of a world-class experience to, to our customers and to our lenders. So uh, you you mentioned collaborate. We're obviously very big on collaboration here at the Motley Fool, and we're also very big on culture. Our listeners care about it. We care about it. We we talk about company culture all of the time because it really does feel like um, it it is a a big differentiator um, over longer periods of time. Uh, companies that have strong cultures, you create a workplace where people want to be. Uh, a workplace that people want to be a part of, and a company that they want to be a part of. You know, the longer you can keep people there, uh, you, obviously you bring down the costs of trying to bring new people in. In uh, I've read a lot about Moto Refi's culture. It, I you know, read a lot of good things about your company and the culture you've developed there. What what makes your company culture so special? Jason, I appreciate that, and and I, I want to actually return the compliment, which is that <laughs> what you all do at Motley Fool is is really incredible and inspiring, and, and it's why I, you know I'm, I'm one obviously pleased to be speaking with you on the podcast, but two, 
uh, when we were putting uh, together our portfolio of investors, one of the reasons we chose Motley Fool Ventures is exactly because of the valuing of culture and the emphasis of culture, not as a nice thing to do, which it is, but as a way to build competitive advantage. Yeah. And you asked about competition earlier, and, and we, we really think it's key. And so, you know, I've been inspired, we've been inspired by the work that you all do, and and we are are, are doing our best to to create a great company culture as well. Um, when, when it comes to what makes our culture special, uh, you know, I think it's easier when you're a mission-driven organization. Hmm. Where there, it doesn't. You don't have the same ambiguity or question around what are you doing or why are you doing it. Everyone just knows. So you kind of have a north star. Exactly, and it helps focus. It is that acid test around. You know, what should we do? You know, you go right back to that north star of is this the best thing for our stakeholders? Is it great for our customers? Is it going to help our lenders? Does it? You know, does it? really add value to the ecosystem. And it really is a big, big focus. Um, recently, I get asked about this on, on Quora around kind of mission and culture. And my advice was really that the best thing you can do is put your mission at the core of your business, not as an ancillary thing of, oh, and we'll give something away for free on the side, but make sure that your core North Star is completely aligned with your mission. And, and I, I see cultures as a, you know, very analogous and, and core part of that. And so we, we try very hard to put our stakeholders first. It sounds simple, but it's really core to what we do. So for example, what does this mean for our customers? Uh, it means we live by the grandma test. And, and that's a test established by another one of our investors, QED investors, uh, and Nigel Morris, who co-founded QED and, and actually co-founded Capital One. And early on, uh, we were speaking, he said, you know, never sell anything to a customer that you wouldn't sell to your own grandmother. <laughs> I like that. It's a simple test. Everyone knows what it means. They get it instantly. We repeat it constantly, and it's a rule we live by. So when we talk about constantly putting customers first and making it, you know, central to what we do, um, that, that is a key example. Wow. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just a lot of work up front there in developing that mission. It really sets it up for success, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. It absolutely does. And it helps, as you alluded to, it helps with recruiting because people, great people want to do great work and they want to work on mission-driven businesses that are doing good things for the world. And and when you can be clear-eyed about that and and really not just you know put it on a piece of paper but live by it every day, uh, I think people get that they appreciate it and they want to be part of it and and you know we're certainly uh, as good as as the people you know we uh, we work with and and I'm incredibly fortunate to work with an amazing group of people and and a lot of that has to do with our culture they're not just talented but they're great people and you know you also hire according to culture um, there there are no you know. Uh, brilliant, you know, jerks here or people who are brilliant but don't care about the mission. We, we don't really do that. And I think people get that here when they come in and, and speak with us. And uh, it's, it's, it's worked uh, well so far. Like grandma test. That reminds me of the Warren Buffett's, uh, he's got a similar sort of, of axiom, I guess you could call it. It's basically don't do anything you wouldn't, you know, want to see on the front page of the paper the next day. <laughs> Just kind of, uh, it, it gives you an idea of how you really should behave. 
Um, and and I, I think that's a good one, the grandma test. I'm going to have to spread that around here. I'm sure our listeners will appreciate that one. Um, let's let's pivot away from Moto Refi specifically for a minute. I want to talk about you as an entrepreneur because this, if I'm not mistaken, is the fifth startup that you've worked on in your career. Is that right? I think that's about right. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, like that. That, that that's impressive. I mean, to say the least. I mean, I feel like we could do a whole show on your startup experience. And honestly, if you're willing to come back, we probably will do a whole show just on your startup experience because I know our listeners would would love to hear about that. Um, but tell me, I mean, is 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 this your dream job? Doing just being a part of startups, or is this sort of getting you to a to a higher ground, some different kind of longer term goal? I'm absolutely passionate about startups, uh, as you might imagine. This is what I love. Um, I love the freedom. I love the creativity. I love the collaboration of solving hard problems with smart, motivated people. It's the best. Um, And and the community is an incredible and generous community. So I've benefited so much from friends and mentors in the startup community. Uh, It is a group of people who truly want to make a difference in the world. And and it's been it's been fun and a privilege to be part of the community uh, that's that's working to make that happen. Hiring isn't as simple as putting an ad in the paper or posting to a job board. When you're juggling hiring with everything it takes to grow to grow your business, it's important that you reach the right candidates at the right time. And that's where LinkedIn comes in. Over 600 million members visit LinkedIn to make connections, learn and grow as professionals, and discover new job opportunities. Now, I mean, I don't know about the new job opportunities, Austin, but I do go to LinkedIn occasionally. And when I say occasionally, usually a few times a week, and it's to learn and grow. It's to connect with people that I know there in other markets and other fields, and I'm learning a lot every time I visit, that's for sure. That's how they make sure your job post gets in front of people with the right hard skills and soft skills to meet your role requirements because they have so many people out there and things like collaboration, work ethic, adaptability. LinkedIn does the legwork to match you to the most qualified candidate so you can focus on hiring the person who will transform your business. And more than 35 million job seekers visit LinkedIn jobs every month. That's 35 million that is a lot of LinkedIn job seekers. To get $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com slash fool. Again, that's linkedin.com slash fool to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. Now back to our interview with Kevin Bennett. So tell me about a time that made you question what you were doing. I mean, at one point, I'd have to imagine you have a number of examples here, but what what happened? Something that happened that just made you think, "Oh my God, I can't be doing this anymore. I, I got to go get a nine to five and just settle down." So, I often describe startups uh, as an act of faith. Um, there is a moment in one of the Indiana Jones movies where he's crossing a canyon or something like that, and he, as an act of faith steps out and a brick appears and he takes another step and the brick appears. Oh yeah. 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 I remember that. That is startups in a nutshell. (laughs) Um, you know, it is, you're solving hard problems. You're doing things others haven't done, or at least haven't done in the way that you're trying to do them. And and they're difficult. Um, it is by definition kind of, you know, cutting a new path into the world in some ways. And, 
and it's challenging. And, and there are days where you're on top of the world and there are days where it just didn't work. Whatever it was you were trying to do just didn't work. And I think part of the fun is building in that, that experience, that muscle memory that allows you to keep going. And I, and I think everyone understands that in their lives. Everyone has challenges. Everyone has things that are hard. And, and sometimes, you know, you just get up the next day and, and you dust off and you, and you go back at it. And, and I think we all have those challenges in life. I don't think they're unique to startups, but I think I'm uh, privileged to be in a community that, uh, first of all, accepts that and understands that. And, and secondly, embraces it. And, and that, that's what innovation is all about is trying things and, and, you know, and whatever it is you learn, if it works, you learn, it works. If it doesn't work, you learn it didn't work and you try something else. And, and I think that that is really the process of, of startups and, and, and trying to do what we do. And, uh, it, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, going on the, the learning from your mistakes thing for a second there, because I, and I mean, I, I would imagine this line of work keeps you very humble. Um, if not, you probably aren't in it for all that terribly long, but, um, given, okay, we, we were saying five startups here. I mean, are, have all, five, have all five of those, um, are they, are they continuing on? Are they businesses that still exist in one form or another? And if not, you know, were there failures there that made you think, oh, I better be doing something different or I need to change this? It's, it's a great question. And actually, the, the point on, on, on mistakes and, and failures is that one of the things that uh, I think I got a little better at over time was trying to catch those mistakes early. And I think you're alluding to this too, which is, you know, there's a, there's a saying in startups, fail fast and fail cheap. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, trying to discover if you're off on the wrong track, catch it early so you can adjust or pivot or, you know, do whatever you need to do. Um, but it's, uh, you know, constantly be reflective, be evaluating what you're doing, be testing it. Is it working? Is it not working? It's kind of that tinkering, uh, that is at the heart of startups and, and, you know, absolutely need to be reflective and stay humble and, and know that, uh, that, that you're, you're not always going to be right. There was, I was reminded the other day of, uh, a decision in an earlier startup where I fell in love with a certain type of design for the software and the product. Absolutely loved it. Working with some incredibly talented people, I fell absolutely in love with it. There was one problem. Our users hated it. <laughs> absolutely hated it. And and so it just reminds you to, to just test and test and test because, you know, uh, sometimes you're going to be right and sometimes you're going to be wrong. In terms of the startups, though, to get to that question, I believe they are all living on in one form or another, although I will say two things. One, these are all startups I've been a part of. They're not all startups I've founded, so I want to be clear and transparent on that. Some of right. them I've joined existing teams. Some of them I did start. You know, um, and, and there were various degrees of success. Some really got more traction than others. Um, I was at Opower through the IPO, um, which was a great kind of success story in in the DC area and, and across the US uh, in terms of clean tech and uh, behavioral science. Um, 
but I've learned from all of them and, and I've really enjoyed uh, the experiences and it gives you pattern recognition. You know, seeing that many different reps, having that many different reps at startups is helpful. You learn, you take something away from each one, not just in, in the relationships and in the, in the domain learning, but but also just in the experience and, and learning kind of the things that have been successful and the things that uh, were less successful or you do differently next time. Yeah, that's a good point you make there about um, you loving the software design and customers uh, hating it. Um, I mean, I, I think that translates into the investing world is, um, you know, maybe there's a service or a product out there that I really love, but that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone else really does. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that's a good investment idea uh, because of that. Always. Always worth remembering. It's a big world out there, and you got to get you got to get feedback before you can really make that kind of a big picture decision. Um, what? So, I mean, with all of your experience, I'm sure we have some listeners out there that are considering getting into startups or would like to know more about it if they have this idea. What, what's one piece of advice you would give to someone who is interested in getting into the startup gig? Someone who's inspired by your conversation here. What's one piece of advice you'd say to someone just getting started? You know, uh, I, I've heard this was uh, used by another company somewhere down the road, but but just do it. Um, be <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, jump in. Find a way to add value. I, I, I think there are so many people I've spoken with along the way who have been interested and they want to do it and they're excited and they have the twinkle in their eye and something holds them back. Yeah. It just it feels different. It feels like you know, it, it just feels risky. It feels what, but I I rarely, if ever, have seen or heard from anyone who has made the leap and regretted it. Sometimes the biggest risk you take is not taking the risk. Yep. And and I think that would be my advice. Most people are in a place where. Take the risk, take the jump. If you don't like it, you can always go back to what you were doing before. And probably having learned some valuable lessons you can take to your previous industry or job or whatever it would be. Um, but but is that different experience, whether you're in it for the long term or not, that can often create a ton of value, uh, whether it's in a more traditional corporate sector, the nonprofit sector, or, or whatever the case may be. So uh, I I've only seen people satisfied that they've done it. Uh, that's not to say that everyone stays in it. Some people do it for a year or two and say, you know, not for me, or they, they end up in a different, going in a different direction. But the experience itself is always valuable and probably more valuable than the experience they would have had had they spent that time uh, doing uh, whatever they were doing previously. Yep. You never know if you don't try. Um Speedy. Speaking of that, but I mean, I, I know what you've got going on in the near term here with Moto Refinance. But given your entrepreneurial nature, I mean, what's next for Kevin Bennett? This is it. I mean, I am <laughs> just couldn't be happier where I am now building Moto Refi with this team. And, and a big sigh of relief from the entire Moto Refi team. <laughs> He's not going anywhere, folks. I mean, it's such an incredible opportunity to help people, um, and and we are helping people every day. It goes back to the North Star and the mission, which is we are helping 
our customers and, and we save them. I'd be remiss if I didn't say we save them an average of a hundred dollars a month. Oh, wow. So it, it's real money that makes a difference in real people's lives. And we're also helping great lenders. You know, we work with great lenders, a lot of credit unions, community banks, and we're helping them as well. So I think on both sides of the equation, uh, we're, we're thrilled with what we can do. And we just want to help as many great lenders and as many uh, consumers as we can. And and I'm just incredibly fortunate to be uh, on this journey with some amazing people uh, on the team. And, uh, you know, we're, we're growing and we're expanding. We just moved into a new uh, headquarters in, in Arlington and just really excited about the opportunity before us and what we can do and, and the culture we're building all of it. We're, I just couldn't be more excited. So, uh, I am, I, I am ready and, uh, you know, we'll be continuing to, uh, spend all my time, uh, pouring into this endeavor. Cause I, I think it's, it's worthwhile and just a lot of fun. Well, he's the CEO of Moto Refi. Kevin Bennett, thanks for taking the time to speak with us this week. Jason, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Before we wrap things up this week, uh, I wanted to take a couple of minutes just to talk in regard to all of the drama that's been going on here in the markets recently. Uh, part of this is no doubt inspired from Chris Hill's awesome episode of Market Foolery from last Tuesday. Um, and part of it is also inspired from a conversation I had uh, over with my friends, Kristen Scholler and Tim Stenevec on Cheddar this morning about all of the escalating tensions between the U.S. and China, uh, but Goldman Sachs lowering their U.S. economic forecast for the final quarter, uh, protests in Hong Kong political rhetoric. I mean, it seems like just this perfect storm of a lot of things going on that, uh, you know, it's it's resulting in some volatility in the market, some questions. Uh, seems like more uh, and more we're hearing that R word, you know, the recession uh, just, uh, just on the horizon there. And I mean, Listen, let's be clear. I mean, we haven't had a recession since the Great Recession. We're probably overdue for a recession. And you know what? We're going to have a recession. When it happens, I don't know, and I really don't care. Uh, and that that's the way you have to approach these things as investors. Uh, but really, I just wanted to touch on a few things that I talked about today with Kristen and Tim, because they're bigger picture concepts that I think, for me, uh, help me keep focused in times like these when you just get a little volatility and a little uncertainty and you don't quite know what to do. Uh, A few things that I think matter. One, business-focused investing. We talk about it a lot here at The Motley Fool, and sometimes maybe uh, it's not quite as simple as it might sound, but ultimately the idea is that if we invest in good businesses, then over time, we're going to do well. You can't really control the ebbs and flows of the market. You can't control the political rhetoric. You can't control the global, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the geopolitical risk uh, that, that plays out in today's society. So, when you invest in good businesses, those good businesses tend to transcend all of that stuff over time. So, invest in good businesses. Uh, number two is expect the unexpected. Uh, one of those things that you'll learn, I think, in life as you grow up, and it becomes a little bit more apparent the older that you get, you need to expect the unexpected. When you think something can't happen, think again. 
that that will keep a level of humility and keep an open-mindedness about you, I think, as an investor that will serve you well uh, over time. Again, going back to this, uh, this idea that there is a lot of stuff going on out there, most of this stuff is totally out of our control as individual investors. There's not really anything that you can do about it or I can do about it. Uh, you can't tell our leaders or leaders of other countries what to say necessarily. We can speak with our political voice, of course, but there are a lot of things that go on out there that are simply out of our control, and you have to embrace that and understand it. And I think uh, you know, taking that longer view helps. And again, that goes into this next point, always take the long view. I think taking the long view gives you an opportunity as an investor to let this other stuff kind of just play out. Once you recognize that there's stuff that's going on that we can't control, stuff's going to happen that you didn't think was going to happen, taking that long view, I think, makes a lot of sense of it all. It takes a lot of this day-to-day Craziness is sometimes what it feels like. Craziness. It takes a lot of that stuff out of out of play for you. And and above all, I think you know when you when you run into times like these, a lot of people will sit there and say, "Well, yep, that's it. I told you so." The big I cannot. There's no way I'm going to invest because it's too risky. There's too much of this stuff going on out there that just I can't feel comfortable putting my money into the market when I don't know what's going to happen day to day. And that completely misses the point because as you know and as we know and as we're trying to tell the entire world, we want to teach the entire world of this concept, the bigger risk is not investing at all. Investing is not too risky. The bigger risk is not investing at all. You will not achieve your financial freedom. You will not achieve your financial independence if you don't invest. Now, whether that's investing in your company's retirement plan and just contributing to a 401k, or whether that is a retirement plan and investing in individual stocks, whatever that may be, you need to be doing something with your money with that long-term plan in mind. If you're not doing that, you just simply won't be able to achieve your financial freedom without some uh, tailwinds that you may not have anything to do with, right? <laughs> Whether you hit the lottery or someone leaves you a lot of money in their will. And I don't want to be going to bed at night planning my retirement around those two things. So remember, above all else, the bigger risk is not investing at all. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. An affiliate of The Motley Fool LLC manages a vehicle that holds an interest in Moto Refi. Today's show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Kevin Bennett, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.